Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. Welcome in to another edition of the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one. It is episode 15. How low? Try six in a row, though. That's what we're calling this one. I am Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. On 670, the score, guys are on from 5.30 until 10 a.m. daily. You can catch more of me between 5 and 5.30 as I warm things up in the Mully and Haw pregame show. Again, on 670, the score, the radio home of your Chicago Cubs. And as always, I'm joined by my great buddy, Crawley. Crawley, happy, uh, what day of the week is it? It is Thursday. Happy Thursday to you as the uh, Orioles get the heck out of town and the Mets come in. Yeah, you can follow me at Crawley's Cubs and you can follow us at Fly the W on Facebook, Fly the W670 at uh, it's Twitter and Instagram and our e- uh, email address, Fly the W670 at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, the O's are out of town, but uh, guess who's coming into town? The big bad New York Mets. So, doesn't get any easier, Dustin. Doesn't get any easier. And as we previewed this series, we said one of the hottest teams in all of Major League Baseball, the Orioles, who would have thought the Orioles were coming to town, and they now leave as the hottest team. Cubs and Orioles played two. We're going to take you through both of them. We'll start with game one. We saw the Cubs fall, Crawley, 4-2. to two. Take us through it. How did it happen? On my birthday, you think the Cubs would have put in a little extra, bur- a little extra effort, knowing that I was there. Uh, thank you to the Cubs. I had some really good seats. I was right behind home plate. Ooh, um, nice. Ooh, yeah, ooh. Very, very fancy. Ooh. But uh, and, and right away, things are looking good. Bottom of the first, Ian Happ with his ninth home run of the season. All star Ian Happ. Cubs are up one nothing. Bottom of the second, one out. Nico Horner hits a ground rule double. He steals third. Alfonso Rivas singles, and the Cubs lead two to nothing, and and birthday wishes are coming true. But then in the top of the third, uh, with one out, you had Adrian Sampson, who was on the mound. Uh, Boy, you got two guys at the top of the order that are just absolutely really electric in Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini. Uh, Cedric Mullin singled, Trey Mancini was batting, and Sampson was called for a balk. And so Mullins gets to go to second, and with two outs, Anthony Santander singles and the Cubs leads cut to two to one. So, uh, you know, Mullins gets into scoring position because of that balk and that one hurts you. Absolutely. The balk will come back to bite them in the backside. No doubt about that. Top of the fourth one out, uh, Adley Rutschman walks and Ramon Urias. Like these are guys that are just contributing. You know, when you look at the Orioles and you look at their batting averages and some of the numbers, they don't blow you away, but they, it's just different guys every day doing it. And Urias hits a two-run blast off Adrian Sampson. And the Orioles now lead 3-2. to two. Bottom of the six, one out. Seiya Suzuki hits a ground ball to third. Ramon Urias has a throwing error. He advances to second. Suzuki steals third. So that's the second you know time that they steal third there. Wisdom walks. You have runners at the corner. You're down 3-2. And you're thinking, okay, the Cubs are going to come back here. Corner hits a rope right to Urias, who turns the unassisted double play. Yeah, you could and almost it, feel from sitting on my couch, Crowley, you were there. But from my couch, it really felt like the air went out of Wrigley Field at that point. Yeah, it really looked like they were going to come back. And sure enough, the very next half inning in the top of the seventh, Jorge Mateo homers. And now you're down 4-2, to two, and that's going to end up being the ball game. The Cubs go quietly in the ninth. Uh, frustrating things here. Adrian Sampson probably finishes the six 
if not for a Patrick Wisdom air. And, you know, they're starting to become a little bit more frequent, and I'm becoming more concerned. I think Patrick Wisdom's a really good third baseman. I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if he's mentally kind of getting his own head. But, you know, it would have been great to have uh, Samson pitch uh, six innings. He didn't. They didn't have a lot of scoring opportunities. I talked about the, the one where Nico hits into a double play. They were one for five with runners in scoring positions, but five opportunities is not a lot. So they leave four on base. Samson goes 5.1 innings, gave up six hits, three runs, two walks, three Ks. But you're going to take that from Adrian Samson. Like, that's not a bad line. Absolutely. Listen, absolutely you take that. You know, Rivas was one for three with an RBI, half one for four with a home run. Jordan Lyles delivered his eighth quality start for the O's. He went seven innings, two runs on seven hits, and one walk, five strikeouts. Cedric Mullins was two for four with the run. And Ramon Urias was three for four with that two-run blast. So the Cubs at least were in it. They just couldn't get the big hit, and that's what was so frustrating. Well, that's just it, Crawley. They continue to be in it. They were in it basically every game against the Dodgers. They were in it with the Orioles, and it's just these little things. The you know the balk. You talked about the balk. The wisdom error. These are the things that winning teams don't do. That's what separates teams that are maybe five games over 500 instead of a team that's. 20 games under 500, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing a good team does is they'll take advantage of your mistakes. So you give teams extra outs. You don't hit the cutoff, man. You you balk. I mean, other teams are going to take advantage of that. Now, neither one of us predicted a sweep for the Cubs in this series. We both thought, hey, listen, let's get a split against the hottest team in baseball. So Cubs are now down in the series no games to one in favor of the Orioles, who at that point have won nine in a row. So game two last night, Justin Steele back from uh, maternity break, if you will. Um, and how did this one shake out, Crowley? Yeah, congratulations to Justin Steele on having a baby boy. Uh, I read a quote where he's already putting the ball in the left hand of the baby to try to make sure he's a... Uh, Smart man. He's a, he's Smart a lefty. Man. Yeah, a lot of careers there. But Justin Steele's versus Fenster Watkins. And, and Justin struggled to start the game, but he settled down. But unfortunately, after the damage was done, the Cubs' offense didn't do much. Top of the first, two on for Anthony Santander. He doubles to make it 2 nothing. The next batter, Austin Hayes, singles. But you had an error on Ian Happ. He was going for the throw, and it just went right out of his hand. And so another run scores, and the Orioles lead 3 nothing right off right out of the gate. Uh, top of the second, two on, one out. Trey Mancini doubles. Uh, that's going to lo- allow Ruffin O'Dor to score. And Cedric Mullins, originally they said he scored, but the Cubs challenged the play at the plate. The call's overturned. So only one run rather than two run scores on that. And the Cubs trail 4 nothing. Great relay by Nico Horner, who jumped the like jumped and threw the ball, jumped really high and threw the ball in the air almost at like the same time to make that play to get the out so that was kind of a big play but you're down for nothing uh at that point bottom of the third and and these are the things that we talk about with the cubs offense nelson blasquez doubles chris Morell walks ortega grounds out to advance the runners you got runners at second and third you're down for nothing with wilson and hap you're all stars both up to bat both of them strike out you get nothing out of that very frustrating that was crowley you just I'm shaking my head. That was that was so frustrating. You think, okay, here we go, here we go, and they both strike out. Not one, both. Yeah, two all stars, both striking out, and and it just, it's it's this. You know, these are the guys that you really have to rely on. You know, you don't have a lot of veteran players on this team, and the two guys that have experience that that have been to postseasons, those type of things. In in uh, in Contreras and Ian, you got to come through here. I mean, especially Wilson, and I love Wilson Contreras. We've talked about how we wanted him extended. He's just sometimes not the greatest in clutch situations. And I think back to that time. You remember when it was the uh, Christopher Morell? I want to say it was a sack fly or something. He went down 0-2 real quick, and Contreras was over there. He's telling him breathe. And I almost at sometimes just want to tell Wilson. Hey, buddy, take your own advice. Slow yourself right, down. Point. Breathe. You don't need to hit a six-run home run because they don't exist. 
Just get a single. <laughs> just get a single and get some runs across the board. That's all you got to do. Well, he so, might be a little you know, bit out of gas, to be fair. It's been a hot summer in Chicago. And I, I got to tell you, Crawley, regardless of whether they're keeping him or trading him, and we'll get into that as we as we continue on, but I want to see him catch less right now. He needs he needs a couple days off, and he's going to catch, obviously, out in Los Angeles for the All-Star game. I want to see this guy get off his feet a little bit because he's got to be pooped at this moment. Well, he had a couple days off for that hamstring injury. I don't right. remember how much he played in L.A. I want to say one game, but but... I mean, I get what you're saying. At the same time, it, it, it's this is stuff that I've seen from Wilson in the well, past. Well, these might be well. the check marks if you if you're if you're whiteboarding it up, if you will. These might be the check marks against Wilson Contreras for a five-year, hundred and twenty-five million dollar contract. That in the clutch situations, he's not exactly fantastic. Well, yeah, but at the same time, you take a look at the teams that are looking for him. The Mets, who are coming up, are one team that's mentioned a lot right. in the Wilson Contreras trade talks. I mean, you don't have to be the man. Here in Chicago, Wilson, and this situation is exactly what we're talking about, needs to be the man. Right. But when Wilson doesn't, when he's like the guy that needs to be the third or fourth man, that's a different situation. Fabulous. He he's that. a fabulous third or fourth man. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He so just might not be your Michael Jordan, let's say. Right. And so if you're in the Mets or you're Houston, and Houston has some of the worst catching numbers in all of baseball, you don't need Wilson to carry the team on his back. No. But you will absolutely take his bat in there, especially when they have Martin Maldonado and his, like, 133 batting average. Wilson would be a huge addition. Huge upgrade. No doubt about that. But back to the game. Christopher Morrell does triple in the bottom of the fifth. Rafael Ortega does make contact. We get a sack fly, and it's 4-1. to Woo-hoo! Top of the eighth, Chris Martin's on the mound, two outs. Austin Hayes doubles, Adley Rushman doubles, and the Cubs now trail five to one. Before I used to get mad, you know, obviously I get mad at Rowan Wick. He pitched a clean inning. But in comes Daniel Norris, who has been on the L for a while, who was on my, in my doghouse prior to Rowan Wick. Rowan so Daniel, Wick light. <laughs> Daniel Norris was, was a guy that made my blood boil when I would come in, and he would come in on the mound. He comes into the game. He throws a wild pitch. He walks Urias. He allows a single to Odor. So the Cubs trail 6-0. He walks Jorge Mateo to load the base, and he's facing Cedric Mullins. He balks in a run. And so it is now 7-1, to and that's the final right there. But that's the second balk in as many games. And this one, I mean, you're basically wild pitches, walks, balks. I mean, everything you sh – the worst that you could possibly do is what – happened with Daniel Norris. Well, I think Daniel Norris at this point is probably the low man on the total pole. I mean, this bullpen has pitched more innings than any bullpen in baseball. So they're probably just like, okay, listen, we've got issues. We're down a guy. The all-star breaks right around the corner. All right, Daniel, go ahead and we'll put you out there and mop up duty. And he can't even do that. Right. Well, steel, you know, the numbers don't look great. You went six innings, six hits, four runs, three earned, one walk with three K's. But after, you know, about mid-second inning, all of a sudden, he just it just kind of clicked in. He retired 11 in a row, and he held the O's to 1 for 14 after Mancini's double in the second. So, you know, it was one of those really good performances. And, Dustin, I know you've talked a lot about development versus getting the wins. This is one of those games where you say to yourself, okay, he didn't have his best stuff, but he was able to settle down and grind through six innings. And that showed me – a lot. And if you're on a team that actually has good defense and an offense, four runs isn't really, you know, and only three of those were earned. So he only gave up three earned runs. That shouldn't put you out of it being down, say, three nothing. No, I was really looking for a positive after the Cubs were swept by the Orioles, who seem to be going in the opposite direction of the Cubs right now. And that's going to be my biggest takeaway. That's going to be my positive, is that Justin Steele did really settle in. And listen, um, you've got kids, I've got kids. You know, when they when you, when they first come into our lives and, and, and our wives aren't up to 100%, it's a lot of work. So this guy is running like crazy right at the moment. Yeah, and so the team, Ian Happ went 2-for-3. He had a good game, but 0-for-6 with runners in scoring position. They left eight men on base. That's just obviously not going to cut it. With Baltimore, Spencer Watkins went five innings, gave up four hit, one run, two walks, and five Ks. Cedric Mullen, 2-for-4 with a walk. Austin Hayes went 4-for-5 with a run. But at the end of the day, you, you have the Cubs losing streak up to six and the Orioles winning streak now up to ten. 
I have a quote that I want to kind of uh, kind of look at really quick here because I experienced this firsthand. After the game, they're talking to Spencer Watkins, and he said, quote, we feel every bit of Birdland, especially here. You have O's chance going on in Wrigley Field. That's pretty cool. Ninth inning on my birthday, I have Let's Go O's ringing through my ears. Okay, and this... That's, that's this awful. What, that's awful to hear Crowley, but I get it. But, but this is what it is, is that you have a whole bunch of people who are trying to get rid of tickets and the, and, and it is opposing fan bases that are gobbling those up. It wasn't just the Orioles. I've saw it against San Diego. I, I mean, you name the team. I was there again in Boston versus Boston always travels well, but I've seen Wrigley filled with more opposing teams fans than I've seen Cub fans in, probably since 2012. Well, I couldn't be happier for the Orioles to have flown out of town, Crowley. They are winners of 10 in a row. You're listening to the 670 The Score Fly, the W podcast. This is episode 15. It is season one. How low? How about we go six in a row low? One of the things we've been promising on this podcast is to introduce you to some of the up-and-comers for the Chicago Cubs. This Sunday is going to be the start of the Major League Baseball draft. So let's take a look and see who might be some of the newest Cubs. And we're going to check in with the North Side Bound guys. Joining us now on Fly the W is Greg Zumak. You can find him at Ivy Futures and one of my favorite sites, North Side Bound. And in Northside Bound, they really look at young Cubs, and that's why it's going to be perfect to have Greg on today. Thank you for joining us, Greg. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Now, uh, this Sunday is the draft, and, you know, a lot of people don't understand how the baseball draft works, and that's why I wanted to have you on, is that when you do the football draft or the basketball draft, whoever you get in, a, say, a top 10 pick, you are expecting an immediate return the next year. Baseball works very differently with the draft. Can you tell our listeners how the baseball draft works and and why it is so different from those other drafts? Totally. You know what? I think that's a perfect kind of corollary, right? Because if we compare it to football, we compare it to basketball, you're talking about like, hey, maybe this guy's an all-star next year. Baseball is a whole different beast here. So when we talk about baseball taking guys, people know the minor leagues, right? Like, but almost 100% of all players that are drafted will, you know, the plan is for them to go to the minor leagues. And we're not talking for 50 games and double A and then he's up to the bigs. That's really, really rare. We're talking about guys that are taking 21, 20, 19, 18, 17 years old in some cases who might be in the minor leagues for five, six years, and they're like completely on track. So one of the big questions that I always get is, well, but the Cubs need pick a position, right? Like pitcher. Historically, it's been like, well, the Cubs need pitching, so we should take an ace. Well, yeah, that'd be great. I'm all about it. But you don't draft for need. And you can say that about the other drafts, but like you definitely say it for for baseball because you're talking about probably not seeing a guy for a few years. So one of the questions that I always get is, do you draft for need? And definitely not, especially in baseball. Like, we're talking about guys that are going to be taken at 21 years old, 19, 18, 17 in some cases. And so, you know, the question I always get is like, oh, the Cubs need pitching, right? Like take a pitcher. Yeah, I'd love a pitcher too. And, and you know, if you can nab an ace, like grab an ace. But you don't do it because you're looking at the major league team. Like That's going to be something that you, you know, a guy could spend five, six, sometimes even seven years in the minors and be totally on track. Like he's not even behind on the development curve. I don't yeah, think we I mean, want, yeah. you know, some of the guys that people may not realize that were drafted a while back are names that are just coming up now and Steele and Thompson and those guys that are contributing. These are guys that were drafted a while back. Oh, totally. Steele's a perfect example, right? Like, as you see what he's doing in the big leagues, he was, um, and maybe we'll get to slotting here in a little bit, but he was in what we would call an over-slot signing because of the Kyle Schwarber uh, pick in 2014. And now he's doing what he's doing. He finally made his debut last year, and and we're seeing kind of the fruits of all that. He had a Tommy John in, in the middle of it, some injuries. But, like, look at what he's doing. But he's on track. 
and it's it's a long process. That was that was seven years from when he made his debut. So it, it's just one of those things where it's like you have to evaluate things way down the line. People love to look at like the day after the draft, the the grades, who got an A, who got an F, whatever, right? Football, basketball, like, okay, like maybe you could do that, right? Like you can probably get a good idea. And like a year later, you can probably do that. Baseball, honestly, man, I don't even want to see it, right? Because I won't even want to see it for five years, probably six or seven years. So it's just totally looking at things in a really broad level. Um, baseball's a little different. We're talking 20 rounds and that's down from where it used to be at 40. So 20 rounds, you're talking about building this big class versus basketball where like your first rounders, the key. And maybe if you get like, I, you know, you get a second rounder who, who turns out to be great. That's awesome. But that's totally different football. You're talking seven rounds, you know, it, it's just a very different group building in baseball. Um, it's why I kind of dig it, but you know, it's, it's, it's a different beast. And, and it's kind of why these two things go in hand in hand is not only just drafting and scouting, but also development. Like you need all three of those things to kind of work out so that all of these players, you may have picked the right player, but if they don't get developed properly, then it looks like, Oh, you made a bad pick when that pack pick may not have been bad at all. Oh, hundred percent, man. That that's spot on. Right. Because you can look at, there are teams I'll, I'll I'll kind of keep uh, the specifics out of it, but there's teams that, that I've talked to to scouts about that said, I really wish that team hadn't taken him because he's not going to be as good. Um, and that was in a previous year. And so, you know, that we look at certain players where we're like, if that player goes to these few organizations, they're going to kill it because they're so good at X, Y, and Z. If this guy goes to here, maybe the talent just wins out. Maybe he's traded down the line. Like you never know, but it's all about like, everything together and i do think not a little bit of homerism right here like i'll i'll own it i'll own it but i do think that the what the cubs are building in recent years with a lot of their turnover and infrastructure they really are like trying to build more of a a a big collaborative group is that here are the things that we know that we can adjust or improve or perfect in the minors and at the major league level and then here are the players that we think fit that so you've got to have scouting talking to all of the other folks with like the hitting and the pitching group you want to talk about Craig Breslow and all that you want to make sure that the that the people you're bringing in are the people you're actually going to make be better otherwise you're kind of just wasting everybody's time and potentially that person's future career now you know I always look at things as uh pre-theo and post-theo and pre-theo you know the Cubs had a lot of bad knocks as far as their scouting developing and so Theo Jed and Jason McLeod comes in it was really Jason McLeod who was in charge of the scouting and player development for most of the time that he was here 20 was 2012 to 2019 roughly where he was running a lot of those drafts and it looked like the Cubs did really well when it came to the first rounders especially the top 10 picks you know, you talk about Albert Almora, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, Ian Happ kind of all kind of go into there. Um, but always seem to kind of struggle after that first round. Would you say that's a fair statement? You know, I think it would, with the exception of one year. Let's take 2018 out of it because Jason McLeod nailed that 2018 draft, like absolutely killed it. So we'll take that one out of it. But everything else, you're spot on, right? Like we're talking Chris Bryant and and hey, he gets he gets a little bit of hate, but like Albert Almora made it to the majors. I hate to say it in the draft. That's honestly like an okay outcome. It's not what we wanted, right? But like made it to the majors. Uh, Cal Schwarber, Chris Bryant, Ian Happ, who's an all-star now, all made it to the majors. First rounds with college bats, they killed it. It was a different landscape in baseball at the time, but like, yeah, it worked. And hey, they're wearing rings for it. So that strategy did work. After that, yeah, man, I, it was a struggle, right? Like you saw players that Dwayne Underwood was a big uh, overslot sign, like a it was technically like the first round. It was hard to explain in, in 2012, but he was one of their first picks that was after like the, the Albert Almora pick in 2012. Well, we didn't see much production at, at, from him at the majors. Paul Blackburn is actually a little bit of Jason McLeod vindication here is an all-star for Oakland this season. 
So that's exciting. But this is a guy that was drafted in 2012. We're talking 10 years, you know, prior. And and he was actually in the uh, Mike Montgomery deal. A lot of those players later in the draft really have not had much of an impact. One exception in recent years, and this is due to the player development group, and this is just frankly due to him busting his butt, uh, and that's Keegan Thompson. Because he was a, I'm, I hope I don't get that wrong, fourth rounder in 2017. And that guy busted his butt in the alternate site, totally remade himself as a person, has continued to kill it in the offseason. We're seeing what he's doing now. That's a little bit of vindication later. Now, I mentioned 2018 as the exception, and that's totally true. That draft was awesome. We're not just talking Nico Horner in the first round, who's great. We're talking Brennan Davis, who is their top prospect, pretty pretty unanimously outside of Baseball America, and I think they're kind of being trendy there. <laughs> <clears throat> but Brennan Davis is is a stud. He's the absolute truth. Uh, hopefully he comes back strong here pretty soon. Cole Roderer has dealt with some injuries, but actually he's looking really good at AA Tennessee. Um, there's a bunch. If you go down that draft, there's like five, six, seven, maybe even eight guys that might make it to the majors from that class. And that's pretty damn impressive. So that one's awesome. Um, but yeah, like if you look at it pretty broadly, I would say Jason McLeod nailed their first rounders almost every season. Afterwards, you know, a few guys here or there who are busting through. Um, and then 2018, which is great. In 2019, that's when Dan Kantrovitz comes in. And Actually then, yeah, at the end of 2019. End of 20, October, right? Yeah, totally. October right. 2019, he comes in. And I was excited, not knowing probably as much as you do about him. But when all of a sudden I looked at his resume, and you take a look at Cardinals and A's. Now, I know Cardinals get supplemental picks in their sleep. But when you talk about the Cardinals and the A's, those are two teams – regardless of how often they win, because like all the other sports, you know, the more you win, the, the further away you pick from the top 10, which is where you're most likely going to succeed, but in your picks, but the Cardinals and A's consistently do a good job of that. What we talked about scouting, drafting development. You've had the opportunity to talk Dan, to Dan Kantrovitz a couple of times. What do you learn from talking about Dan as far as his, his kind of how he looks at the draft and scouting and developing? Yeah, totally. He's very generous with his time. I mean, it's been, you know, the lead up to the draft and he's, you know, willing to spend like an hour and kind of talking about things, which is really great. <clears throat> really one of the better human beings in, in baseball that, and I hear that from out, outside the Cubs as well. So Dan's strategy, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it a little bit with the Cardinals and the A's, right? Because they're almost, and we can say it because definitely because the Cardinals, it's so annoying, right? <laughs> they just get these guys in like the eighth round and it's like, you gotta be kidding me. I've never heard of him. This is like a made up name in MLB the show and he's popping off for three home runs in the series. But like, that's what the Cardinals consistently do. And it's so frustrating. Well, Dan was a big part of that, right? Like they're bringing out these guys and, and, you go deeper in these drafts and they're still getting contributors. Um, actually, one guy that was one of Dan's first picks, it was technically, again, that 2012 draft was really strange. It was when things changed. Technically, a first rounder, Patrick Wisdom, doing things here in Chicago. He's none of the one of those guys that took a really long time. A little bit of like karmic universe justice uh, that he's popping off and, and good for him. But <clears throat> the strategy that I would generally say, not that he's given anything away, is that you look at things pretty broadly, like you want to get contributions from the entire draft, right? Like, and, and that's great. And his, what he's done in the past makes sense with that. It's where, if you look at where the Cubs have picked in the last two years, they've generally just let the board fall their way. And that's a really exciting thing because I'll go pre-Theo on this. It almost seemed like they would have a player in mind and they just come hell or high water, that person's the pick. And like, okay, if it's the right player, fine. Maybe you do that every once in a while. But not not trying to 
to rag on the guy. Like they took Hayden Simpson in 2010 and Jim Callis was trying to remember who he, who was a noted draft analyst was trying to remember who he even was. And they took him in the first round and it didn't work out. That was pre Theo. I don't think that Jason McLeod did that, but I do like how Dan Kantrovich just lets the board fall his way. Ed Howard was rumored to have deals potentially in the works uh, with the Angels up at 11 in 2020, and and somewhat on the board actually with the White Sox. He was there for the Cubs at 16. They just didn't question. They took him. Last year, Jordan Wicks was not supposed to be anywhere close to pick 21, and I was consistently hearing like, oh, this guy is like 10 to 15 range at the latest. He's there on the board. The Cubs don't question it. They just take the best player and figure it out from there. And then they were aggressive in going after players that they found were going to be impact later. And that's where I'm really kind of jazzed about it. They took a kid in the second round that I was a huge fan of, and that's James Toronto's. That draft last year is looking really, really good. Um, And they were aggressive. They let the board go their way, but they also had the conviction in just saying like, we will not be contained. Like this is the guy we're bringing into the system. And that's a fun kind of companionship right there. Yeah. Trianto's looking okay. And uh, with that Myrtle beach Pelican team. Huh? <laughs> oh yeah. Birds are hot. Definitely. Birds are hot. And so now that we're taking a look here, you we're, we're now here in 2022, the Cubs pick seventh. That's going to be this Sunday what are you going to be looking at as, as all of a sudden this starts happening? What, what are some players that look to slot right where the Cubs are going to be around seven? Totally. So I'll give a, a brief kind of F, you know, FYI here is that the, the feedback that I've gotten from people, not necessarily with the Cubs, but just all throughout baseball is this Sunday could be chaos. And, and that's kind of fun. Like if, if you're tuning into that and you're already kind of a draft fan, like this is going to be pretty wild is what I've heard. Uh, certainly not chalk uh, as far as a drafting strategy. But we can talk about a few players that are probably somewhere in that range. So for those that are like, got to have a pitcher that are watching this, I hate to break it to you. This is not really a strong pitching group. So chances are it's going to be a hitter. Could be high school, could be college, but probably going to be a hitter. There's a few players that I would say, you know, probably intrigue the Cubs a little bit more and are kind of right in that range. One of them that's been talked about for a while is Cam Collier, son of Lou Collier. Now, he he really bet on himself. He's actually supposed to be a high school junior going into his senior year. He graduated early, so he'd be eligible for the draft, but then enrolled in junior college. As a 17-year-old, he's playing against 21, 22, a couple 23-year-olds, and that's a big talent difference, right? Like, in high school, maybe you gear up for like the one matchup where some guy's like throwing 92 and you got, you know, get jazzed for it once a month. Every game they're playing uh, at his junior college program, they're facing 95 and locating. It's it's pretty impressive. And, and you're, he and you're also talking about just, just the size difference. You know, oh, from totally. 17 year old to a 22 year old, your body type is completely different. Oh, yeah. And it's a lot more games and it's more of a grind. Like it was a really impressive stretch. And he he did it well. He answered those questions. So he's fun. He's honestly played his way to the point that some people feel he may not even be there at seven, which breaks my heart a little bit. But, you know, Cam's a great kid, huge on makeup and and would be awesome. There's other some other college bats that I think we should kind of pay attention to there. Um <clears throat> Brooks Lee is a shortstop, probably future third baseman out in Cal Poly, which is not a big program. He actually, this has been reported, so I'm not like breaking any news here, but he had offers. Uh, Actually, the Cubs were one of the the clubs in 2019 that had a pretty sizable first round offer to him. I believe the Dodgers are one of the others there. He said, nope, I'm playing for my dad in college. And he's gone and he's answered those questions. So, He's actually a switch hitter. Again, I probably going to be a third baseman, probably not a shortstop, uh, but hits really well, makes great contact. Kind of the knock on him is, is he a future superstar? Eh, people don't really think superstar, but like really damn good. And so that's why his name may be called up there. He's not like the sexy pick, but he's really, really good. And Still has all-star potential there. And just remember, just because they play shortstop, that's not where they're going to finish up. I don't know if everyone remembers back in the day, everyone was complaining 
because we had too many shortstops when you had Addison Russell, you had Javi Baez, you had Starlin Castro, uh, you had, uh, God, who else? I mean, it was just a nonstop. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Glaber Torres, Glaber Torres was in the system at the yeah. same time, yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, those are usually your most athletic guys, and they can play around the diamond pretty well. Totally. Take shortstops and center fielders and probably catchers and you're and throw in a handful of pitchers and you're going to be pretty good. Um, you know, I mentioned Cam or Cam Collier earlier. He was a shortstop. Once you get to junior college, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thing where you just take athletic guys and you figure it out at the end. And hey, sometimes people surprise you. The knock on Nico Horner coming out in 2018 was like, "Ooh, I don't think he's a shortstop long term. Well, he busted it. And now he's, he's looked fantastic at short. So, you know, never bet against these guys. There's a lot of pro instruction and, and body changes and athleticism changes that can happen. But I would say Brooks would be one of the other guys to pay attention to, certainly there. And uh, a couple other names that kind of get thrown around, uh, Drew Gilbert. Yeah, so I threw him out there. Um, that's some feedback that I got, not necessarily from the Cubs, but I asked around to a couple people and I said, hey, like what if, if something surprised you in the top 10, you know, or would look like a surprise, but not surprise you, what would it be? And I heard college outfielder, I threw his name out there and they said, yeah, that actually fits the profile. You know, I could see that happening. I'm paraphrasing, so it's not the exact quote. But, you know, I, I think that Drew Gilbert is a, is a guy. Now, he's five foot nine. He plays with the moxie of a seven footer, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he is um, absolutely like, a fiery personality. Not everybody's going to like it, but somebody's going to love it. And that's, that's something that I've thrown out there as well. And he hits the ball like crazy. He doesn't chase the ball. He really makes good contact. He hits the crap out of the ball. And so he might be five foot nine, plays a really good center field, plays for a premier program in Tennessee. He's not afraid of the stage. And so I think that that's another name to, to watch for. And I've thrown out uh, Zach Neto a few times, and, and they, they've been linked to Zach uh, a few times as well. He actually entered the season with Javi Baez comparisons, which I always bristle because there is, there is one Javi, right? Like, I don't comp anybody to Javi because there is only one Javi. But Zach has a big leg kick, and I think that that's kind of what people are looking at. Big leg kick, big arm. Uh, plays a really good shortstop. He's from Campbell uh, University. Uh, down in North Carolina, which is one of their ace scouts kind of areas. They're the same kind of area that James Trantos is from. <clears throat> and Zach was interesting because I didn't originally have him this year as a first rounder, but the feedback that I've gotten is you need to pay attention to Zach. Like the way he hits the ball, he makes good contact. He hits the crap out of the ball and he's looking to launch. So he kind of does everything you want. And when you stack him up against like, college DHs, college first baseman, he's like right there. So you get that kind of a profile, but you get it at shortstop. And that's really, really impressive. So it may not be the the player that I think some would look at and say like, oh man, like I'm so glad that he's there, but that might be a really, really good pick. So I don't know. My, my top strategy is, hey, one of the top guys falls and will sign. That's a no brainer. But a few of these other names, if you have them there at seven, I wouldn't blink an eye. Now, what, what do you see is, is after that first round, then then where do they go there in the war room with Dan Kantrovitz? Yeah, so I think they're going to – I mean, I'm, this isn't from Dan, obviously. He's not going to reveal the, you know, the whole strategy, of course. But I think mirroring what they did last year, which is they found their guy at one, you know, take him there, don't question about it, anchor your draft right there. But afterwards, be aggressive for some of the players that you really think like these are future contributors, maybe even future all-stars. So a name I'll throw out there is uh, is actually Henry Bolt. Um, that's a potential player. He's in the Palo Alto area. And man, he has huge power, um, outfielder out of high school, just really impressive player. Like you see, you watch him play and you're like, this guy's amazing probably need some tweaks to his swing to get to make a little bit more contact. And that's something that, you know, behind the scenes, there have been a few articles in The Athletic, and I've heard kind of similar stuff that, hey, the Cubs feel pretty good about certain players, getting them to make more contact so that they can let that power just play. Nelson Velasquez is a perfect example of a guy that 
up until about mid-season last year, it wasn't really looking that impressive. He made some adjustments, um, and some of those have been public. And now he's in the major leagues, and he's been cranking it. He is a player that you look at and you say, those are amazing tools. Those are like unbelievable power tools, speed tools. If we can find that kind of player, that'd be really exciting. So I think like a Henry Bolt, um, a pitcher like J.R. Ritchie, uh, who's a right-handed pitcher, actually out in my neck of the woods up in the Pacific Northwest, really good mover, uh, really good mechanics. And that's another thing where like, look at what the Cubs did with Steele. Look at the, what the Cubs did with Thompson um, and some of their other minor leaguers like Jordan Wicks and say, this is the building blocks. But we can teach him these sweeper sliders. We can teach him these curveball, these change-ups, um, a new way to grip your fastball to get better ride on it. We can teach these things. And so I, I think that that would be a really good avenue. But I think they're going to shoot for somewhat of a, you know, a really solid first-round pick and then really go after some very impressive toolsy players in the following rounds. Well, Greg, uh, it's going to be a busy weekend for you guys. I'm excited. Where can people find more of your draft analysis? Hey, I appreciate it, Crowley. Always love getting on here and talking draft. You can find me at Ivy Futures um, and also NorthSideBound.com. Love writing that site with uh, Todd Johnson, Greg Huss, Jimmy Nelligan, who I know you know have been friends and, and supporters of the show as well. So you know, just really looking forward to it. Hit me up on there and uh, just look forward to just a fantastic draft and weekend and. Let's go kill it. Go Cubs. I'm sure you I'm sure you got a lot of Red Bull ready. So good luck to you, Greg, and thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. The guys are on from 530 to 10, Monday through Friday. I get it warmed up 5 to 530. As always, I'm joined by my buddy Crawley. We thank you for listening, downloading. And subscribing to the podcast. You can also get us on social media. Crowley will tell you how in just a few minutes. But now, Crowley, we've turned the page on the Orioles series where the Cubs were swept. We just took a look at who the Cubs might be adding in the upcoming MLB draft. And now the Mets are in town starting later on today. We're taping this on Thursday afternoon for you. Hopefully you're going to listen on your way to Wrigley or before the start of this one. So we've got a night game tonight followed by three day games against the Mets. And Crowley, let's get it going. Let's talk about tonight's matchup. Well, coming in here, the Mets are 55 and 34. They're first in the NL East. They're six and four in their last 10. They're coming off a big series with the Braves, uh, who are in second place and had been coming on strong. Uh, obviously, you know, with the Cubs, they're they're the opposite direction, 34 and 54. They're fourth in the NL Central. They're two and eight in their last 10 games with a six-game losing streak. Game one uh, starters, the only night game, a great matchup coming up. It's going to be 7-10 at beautiful Wrigley Field on 670, the score. Pat and Ron with your call. Carlos Carrasco, 9-4 with a 455 ERA and 94 Ks versus Keegan Thompson, 7-3, 304 ERA with 74 Ks. You know, when I think about Carlos Carrasco, he was on that 2016 Guardians team and uh, I was, he got injured before the playoffs, so luckily the Cubs didn't have to face him. Yeah, that was something that uh, went the Cubs' way also. Another pitcher that uh, nobody likes to have around anymore, he likes to play with drones, so he was injured because who knows how things would have went had those two guys been available to the uh, Cleveland Indians, now Guardians at that point. Yeah, you know, uh, he was able to play with that finger with the drone injury, but... Uh, he was at the time probably their third or fourth best pitcher, and they lost Carrasco and Danny Salazar. So there was they were two guys down. So you had uh, you had Bauer and Tomlinson, and they weren't as good. So it certain, like I said, after 108 years of bad luck and bad decisions, a few breaks got to go your way. But Carrasco's <laughs> a still a really just a few. Carrasco is uh, still a really good pitcher, and this Mets team. It reminds you a lot of when the Ricketts bought the team. They have Steve Cohen, who's bought the Mets, and he's come in, and he's had no problem spending money and, and, and no problem demanding winners. So this is a Mets team that has a lot of belief that they are supposed to go far in the postseason. So very similar to when we saw the Dodgers, this is a team that is expected to go far in the postseason. It's not going to be easy. Any of these games right here, that takes us to game two where you have Tyon Walker, who's at seven and two with a two sixty three ERA and 68 Ks. 
versus Marcus Stroman, two and five, 491 ERA with 48 Ks. Walker's having an absolutely magnificent, magnificent season. Um, unfortunately for Stroman, he has had a injury plagued season so far. Uh, hoping that you know the last start out was good. He just you know couldn't throw too many pitches. He was done right. That early. was like a that was like a spring training start for Stroman. Right. So um, Stroman has a lot of bad bad blood with the Mets. My hope is as he comes out fired up. I, I know he wants to beat the New York Mets. Uh, he gets a lot of flack from Mets fans on Twitter and stuff like that, and he won't back down. Um, so it'll be a very interesting game because it's, I think it's personal to him. If you take a look at some of the numbers against him, Francisco Lindor hits in 20 at bats, hits 300 against him. And that's the biggest sample size. Eduardo Escobar set 267, but Francisco Lindor is having a monster season. You remember he signed that big contract last year and he was having a hard time living up to that contract. But this year, he's back to being the all-star, again, that we saw in 2016. Yeah, I'm hoping that we see a great performance out of Stroman. If this one goes bad, then then maybe he's not the right guy. So I, he should have he should bring like a playoff mentality to this game. I know he can't control what happens on the Cubs' offensive side, but he can control what happens when the Cubs are out in the field and he's throwing. So I am really looking for big things from him this, uh, this game on Friday. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, it's a three-year contract, and, and it's been a bumpy year. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I think, personally, you're going to see a lot of motivation. Every, every game, these guys go in, they want to win. But sometimes when you kind of have a little bit of bad blood, the adrenaline pumps a little bit more. You maybe get a couple miles per hour on that fastball. I'm very curious to see how that game two goes, which is a 120 start. That takes us to game three. Max Scherzer versus Drew Smiley. We all remember Oof. Max Scherzer. Oof. Oh. Oof. Yeah, that may be a game that's uh, Saturday. I don't know. Uh, maybe you want to go outside, enjoy the day. I don't, mark I don't know the L right now, Crowley. Just mark <laughs> the L right now. Loser. I don't know Losers. if you want to put the three hours. I would say just go outside and listen to the radio. Listen to Pat and there Ron you go. on 670. Take a star. bike ride. Take a walk. Listen to Pat and Ron in your back pocket. Right. Yep. This is, you know, Scherzer, uh, God, I mean, obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's got the two different colored eyes. He, he's mean. He's angry. He snarls. Uh, he, I uh, remember that, that amazing NLCS or NLDS in 2017 versus the Nationals. That was, I can't, I mean, the Cubs really – Really, I was shocked they were able to come out and win that one. Uh, Jan Gomes hits him pretty well, though, in seven at-bats, a 429 batting average. Uh, Rafael Ortega in six at-bats hits 500 against him. So Jan Gomes has been struggling mightily at the plate. Uh, so maybe this is something that breaks him out of it. I don't know. We'll wait and see. The Mets versus Smiley, they've seen plenty of Smiley. He was, you know, with Atlanta, but... Uh, everybody seems to hit him pretty well, especially Pete Alonso, seven at bats. He's 429. Eduardo Escobar hits 500 against him. Francisco Lindor hits 300 against him. Starling Marte hits 333 against him. So it's, it is not going to be, uh, you never know, but oh boy, if they win this one, I, I'm, I'm buying a lottery ticket. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest question, Crawley, is the Mets will probably be minus 200 at the very least. Will it be minus 225? Will it be minus 250? I really am curious to see what the spread is on this game. All right, let's move into uh, game four, and then it'll be prediction time. Game four, my favorite. You know, I'm so sick of these four-game <laughs> series. Like, it feels just like it never ends. You got David Peterson at 5-2 and two with the 348 ERA and 76 Ks versus Adrian Sampson, who's 0-1 with the 333 ERA, 22 Ks. Sampson has been such a pleasant surprise. I don't know. There's not enough data on either of those guys where you can really kind of uh, get anything out of it. But Adrian Sampson has pitched really, really well, and this is a guy that nobody expected anything from to begin the season, and all he's done is really give you quality outings every time out. Obviously, he's not an ace, but if you're talking about a guy, a fourth or fifth starter that you give the ball to every fifth day, Adrian Sampson's looked pretty darn good. No doubt about that. And I'm, I'm liking Crawley that he's learning at the major league level. I, I really do like that for him. 
Yeah, he, he's developing well, and he's keeping batters uh, off balance. You know, occasionally guys get a hold of one, and that's going to happen as long as he can limit those the damage, you know, one-run homers, something like that. I'm fine with it, but, you know, it's – you're just – you're trying to take a look at what role a guy like Samson has on the 2023 Cubs. I think it's fair to say that Steele and Keegan have, you know – given themselves every opportunity to, you know, be part of the rotation for next year. Uh, hopefully Stroman and Hendricks get over their injuries and see what happens. But that, that it, you, you're starting to have building blocks of a good pitching staff, in my opinion. Yep. The, the pieces, the pieces are starting to come together. We talked about Marcus Stroman. That's a huge game on Friday afternoon, in my opinion. All right, Crowley prediction time. I will go first and I will pull out the old, Please don't get swept, card. Please don't get swept. My prediction, one win, three losses. One win, three losses. You know, I keep saying that statistically you're going to split these four-game series, but I think I should probably throw that out the window. But I, I'm, I'm curious. I want to see. I think that Keegan's going to get the win tonight. I, I like Keegan tonight. I, I got a feeling there on that one. And then I think... Either the Stroman start or the Samson start makes me interesting. So I'm going to go to the split here. And if I'm going to pick a Cub to click, I'm, I'm going with Marcus Stroman. He is my Cub to click because I think he is – he wants to shove it up uh, up New, uh, New York there. He wants to give New York the middle finger, and I think that that's going to be a statement game. That is my prediction. All right, your lips to uh, God's ears on that one, Crowley. That's a wrap. This was episode 15 of season one. How low? Try six in a row. Let's hope when we talk the next time that number is not increasing and increasing and increasing. The Cubs will be going on the All-Star break, but we will not be going on any kind of All-Star break. Crowley and I will be back with you on Monday, and then we'll be back with you midweek. We're going to wrap up the first half of the season. We're going to preview the All-Star game. We're going to wrap the All-Star game, and then we are going to preview the second half of the Cubs season. We're going to talk about how many more times we'll be able to see Wilson Contreras at Wrigley Field. If you're worried about that, you might want to get down there this weekend because this might be the last time we see him in a Cubs uniform over at Clark and Addison. And if you are looking for any of that breaking news, you can always go to 670 The Score, but you could also get it from our socials on Facebook, Fly the W, on Instagram, and Twitter, Fly the W670. And you can always email us with your comments and suggestions at flythew670 at gmail.com.